They've been playing on fear in order to try to score political points. Fear works, Mr. President. Fear works. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm stuck in the on the left and the right, from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ in the Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. And coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on iTunes, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed episode of the bradcast great to have you here on a day that the u.s house has surrendered to isis that's right it's all over now we have surrendered uh more on that in a moment as you might suspect also today uh journalist david dayan will be joining us to discuss as as we try to move out, as we try to move out from the shadows of fear and chaos that has been wrought by the attacks in Paris, has been wrought successfully by the uh, terrorists uh, who attacked Paris in hopes of getting exactly the response they're now getting from uh, too many Americans. As we try to move out of that, we will be joined uh, shortly by David Dayan uh, to discuss... And this is kind of uh, troubling and concerning and, of course, not getting uh, the attention that uh, all the surrender monkeys are getting. But in any event, uh, how a TPP and NAFTA could combine to revive the Keystone XL pipeline from the ashes. That's right. Even though Obama, President Obama, rejected the, uh, the long, controversial, dirty tar sands pipeline a couple of weeks ago, it could come back. Says my uh, guest today, David Day, and we will explain all of that in a few minutes when he joins us. Also, uh, speaking of pipelines, oh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hey, I'm uh, a pipeline? Yeah, well, no, not you, but you <laughs> and the Green News Report a little bit later. We've got more pipeline news, Pi- a lot of pipeline news. Oh, yeah, this week. it's very, very interesting yeah. news. Good pipeline news, yeah. unlike what David Dayan's going to bring to us. That's true. Uh, So we'll have that in the Green News Report, along with the uh, House Republicans doubling down in their ongoing war against climate scientists, which we've talked about on this show. Um, And you haven't heard it uh, many other places, unfortunately, but there's really this McCarthy-esque, literally McCarthy-esque attack on scientists now going on in the U.S. House led by uh, Republican 
Congressman Lamar Alexander, who's a... Lamar Smith. Uh, what did I say? Lamar Lamar Alexander, Alexander is the, a senator. We're talking about right. the representative That's right. From Thank Texas. you. Lamar Equally Smith. wing nutty, though. Well, no, more, way more wing nutty than Lamar Alexander. Way more... Yeah, Lamar Alexander has never, uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to get in the business of defending <laughs> Lamar Alexander, but Lamar Smith in this case, uh, what he's doing in the House is just uh, to, to uh, using his chairmanship of the U.S. House Science Committee, despite being a climate change denier and now using that post uh, in an unprecedented attempt to go after scientists by subpoenaing their personal email I mean, really, it's like nothing we've seen, I don't think, uh, since the, the uh, McCarthy here Or Benghazi. Well, no, I, I, but it's even broader than Benghazi. I mean, this is going to, you know, private individuals. This is not about attacking An individual Hillary Clinton, human being, yes. Hillary Clinton for, for, you know, political purposes. Okay. She has, as David Roberts on this show a couple weeks ago, you know, said she has the ability to defend herself, unlike these these private scientists uh, who are just being attacked and called on the carpet in the U.S. House for nothing, for nothing, just because the U.S. House wants to do the bidding of the fossil fuel industry. Uh, anyway, uh, that and uh, the record heat of October 2015. Yes, record heat, hottest October on record. All of that and more in our Green News report coming up in a bit. But as I said, yes, the U.S. House has now surrendered... To ISIS. As we go to air today, the U.S. House of Representatives has passed a bill uh, that would suspend the program allowing Syrian and Iraqi refugees into the U.S. until key national security agencies certify that they don't pose a risk. Now, this is, you know, war-torn uh, Syria, war-torn Iraq, refugees fleeing uh, uh, certain death in most cases from ISIS trying to get out. Uh, the U.N. has asked all countries to accept these refugees. The U.S. has agreed to accept 10,000 over the next year. We've only accepted 2,000 so far. But these are people who are running away from ISIS, and now we're telling them, no, no, you can't come here. At least that's what the U.S. House of Representatives is saying. Go back. Just like when we used to hear the, the, the shame that this country faced back when FDR... Um, Turn back uh, refugees fleeing Nazi Germany, sent them back, sent them back by the thousands back to their uh, to their death in in Europe. Now we're talking about doing the same thing. So this vote in the U.S. House was two hundred and eighty nine to one thirty seven with forty seven Democrats joining two hundred and forty two Republicans in favor of the bill creating a majority that could uh, that could override President Barack Obama's promised veto of this bill. Uh, this uh, this legislation also faces an uncertain future in the Senate, as uh, Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid has said he will attempt to block that bill. But uh, 47 Democrats for shame. And if we didn't have so much to cover today on the show already, I'd, I'd read the name of those 47 Democrats. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow. Uh, Barack Obama has been abroad uh, this week. He uh, offered a forceful defense of the refugee program, which we played uh, yesterday. We went into detail. I'm not going to go into detail again today because we went into great detail on this. Go to bradblog.com or to iTunes. Look for the episode yesterday called Home of the Brave, wherein uh, we played a lot of uh, both Obama's explanation and our own explanation of the detailed 
uh, vetting that these uh, refugees go through for a year and a half or two years before they ever even get here through the U.N.'s program, through the U.S.'s program, all of these databases. If you are a Syrian uh, if you are an ISIS terrorist trying to get into the U.S., doing it this way is probably the dumbest way to do it as a refugee. There are far easier ways. And as Obama said uh, yesterday, again, we're not going to play the whole thing, but he noted, We are not well served when, in response to a terrorist attack, uh, we descend into fear and panic. Yeah, well, that's what we do in this country, Mr. Obama. He went on to say, we don't make good decisions if it's based on hysteria or an exaggeration of risks. Well, it doesn't make we don't make good decisions, but we do make good politics out of it, apparently. In any event, uh, Republicans moved quickly in the House on this. House Speaker Paul Ryan told reporters that this is urgent. We cannot and should not wait to act. Not when our national security is at stake. Which, of course, it isn't. But all right. FBI Director James Comey uh, expressed deep concerns about the bill. He, uh, to, uh, he uh, according to two U.S. officials uh, speaking to CNN, Comey told the administration and congressional officials that the legislation would make it impossible to allow any refugees into the U.S. and could even affect the ability of travelers from about three dozen countries that are allowed easier travel to the U.S. under the visa waiver program. There is always uh, there are always risks in allowing any foreigners into the U.S. FBI director James Comey told officials, but he added that the FBI believes it has an effective process with intelligence and other agencies to conduct the vetting of refugees. And let's remember that Comey is a Republican. Well, that's right. That's right. At least he was appointed uh, first under uh, George W. Bush. Yeah, and I believe he is yeah. a professed Republican. Yeah. So the bill faces uh, procedural hurdles in the Senate. Hopefully the Democrats will veto it over there. Uh, but they, they told uh, reporters that they have two measures that they would like to use instead. One would prevent people who have been to who have traveled to Syria or Iraq in the last five years from then coming and entering the U.S. through the visa waiver program, which is uh, an easier way to get in than the refugee uh, vetting. Uh, so Democrats would like to do that in the Senate and Democrats would like to uh, prevent people on the terrorism watch list from being able to buy guns or explosives in this country, which is now currently allowed and which Republicans and the NRA have uh, for many years tried to uh, make sure it stays in place. And when I call the NRA supporters of terrorists, that is exactly why. And yesterday we had the story of a, a Texas congressman who is uh, concerned, doesn't want refugees coming to Texas because he says uh, it's too easy to buy guns here. They'll be able to get guns. The, the, the gun laws are, are so lax that these people will uh, be able to buy guns and cause uh, terror in Texas. Yes, of course. That's what we've been saying for quite some time. And uh, you, sir, you Republican, whatever the hell your name was. And you NRA uh, members who support the NRA for some reason, you are supporting this policy. The Guns for Terrorists program. See, that's what we should do. See, if Democrat, if I was a Democrat, if I worked for the Democrats, I would uh, blame the NRA and Republicans for their Guns for Terrorists program. That's how Republicans uh, uh, are so effective in opposing uh, 
things by coming up with these bumper sticker. Uh, and also, I would say, yes, uh, House Republicans have surrendered to ISIS. But unfortunately, you got Democrats doing it as well. But uh, this is what, and again, we went into this in great detail yesterday. This is exactly what both Osama bin Laden then and ISIS now want to happen. They want the U.S. House. They want the uh, U.S. House to keep out the Syrian refugees. They want Muslims across the world to have to choose between the Crusaders, that's us, and the Caliphate, that's them. It's called the gray zone, that zone in the middle where, you know, Muslims, uh, where they don't have to choose side between becoming a, a radical extremist on one side and giving up their religion on the other. Now, uh, that, of course, is going on in the U.S. House. Uh, and, and it's one thing to pass that bill. It's another thing, of course, to lie and confuse and propagandize the American people, as Donald Trump has been doing for quite some time, uh, did it as well uh, this week as any. Refugees are pouring into our great country from Syria. We don't even know who they are. They could be ISIS. They could be anybody. What's our president doing? Is he insane? No, he's not insane. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's insane, but he's not allowing refugees to pour into this country. That's just a complete and utter lie or completely entirely wrong, however you want to look at it. And yet that's uh, that's what Donald Trump, the now clear frontrunner for the U.S. presidential nomination for the Republican side, is now telling Americans. And of course, Americans are believing them, believing him. But it is worse than that. Joe Miller, the one time Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate up from Alaska. He now hosts a radio, a right wing radio program up in Alaska. And by the way, we have supported Joe Miller. On this program at brandblog.com, when he had a question about the voting machines for his uh, election to the U.S. Senate, which he ended up losing, we uh, went to the mat for him. He, I would go so far as to say he is our old friend Joe Miller. But he is crazy as a fruitcake when it comes to uh, issues like this. Uh, he has now a radio program, and he invent. Uh, apparently they let anyone have a radio program. Apparently. Hey, <laughs> what do you... Anyway, uh, so anyway, Joe, Joe now has a radio program. He invited Pastor Carl Gallups onto his program uh, to discuss uh, the war in Syria, according to Right Wing Watch and, uh, and the resulting uh, refugee crisis. Gallups said that all of this was a part of President Obama's plan to bring millions of Muslim refugees to the U.S., in order to either allow Democrats to, quote, stay in office forever or to, quote, bring about a Muslim overthrow of the U.S. Now, there's a reason I'm taking this uh, deep dive for a few minutes here into uh, radical, crazy, extremist right-wing radio, so bear with me. But Miller asked Gallups if, in fact, this was the plan all along to create conflict in the Middle East, have a refugee crisis, inundate this country with radicals. Gallup cited uh, some it's uh, Israeli intelligence. It's always someone from Israeli intelligence who knows who has, you know, who has the secret. So he cites uh, someone from Israeli intelligence who said uh, that uh, years ago, the Arabs were predicting that deep into Obama's term in office, he will, quote, create a crisis in the Middle East, which will then create a surge in Islamic terrorism, which will create a Muslim refugee crisis which would lead to, quote, an influx of many millions of Muslim refugees into the U.S., which Muslims will use as a Trojan horse vehicle for getting terrorists into 
and on American soil. Of course, this guy uh, who uh, Carl Gallup says he talked to also uh, said back in 2012 that President Obama would bring in 50 to 100 million Muslims to America so that, quote, America will be Muslim by 2016. Which gives Barack Obama just about a month to get really, really busy because so far, only 2,000 Syrian, not even 2,000, 1,800, I think, Syrian refugees uh, have come in. So we've got a lot of work to do if we're going to get those 50 to 100 million here by the end of uh, next month. Uh, and then uh, Miller and uh, Gallup discussed what Obama, what his motives might be. Uh, Miller asked why the U.S. wouldn't demand that Syrian refugees just stay in Turkey, where where there's already they're already housing 1.7 million refugees uh, in Turkey right now, compared to 1,800 here in the U.S. Uh, why wouldn't he do? Unless there's some sort of ulterior, ulterior motive says uh, uh, Joe Miller in his question, and uh, then this Carl Gallup's answer was was kind of amazing. Yeah, Turkey's a Muslim nation. Uh, why not just allow them to stay there? Why continue to give them the refugee status unless you've got some sort of ulterior motive? In other words, you know, maybe the Trojan horse or maybe some political motive. I mean, the Democrats, the left, they're always looking for some way to broaden their coalition. Oh, yeah. And they've looked toward, you know, <laughs> illegals before now maybe they're looking toward muslims yeah oh yeah no i think that's a huge part of it i mean even if you you know i mean you can go pretty deep in this conspiracy theory if you want <laughs> you know you can go all the way down to a muslim overthrow of the united states you know ushered in by muslim sympathizers or you can just back it up a few notches and say what you just said which we know for a fact we've heard we've heard various political operatives admit that they are they are attempting to use the uh, the broken border or the created broken border situation to bolster the roles of the Democrat voters. What? They want to be able to stay in office forever what? in a quote legal way. You know, it's a drummed up illegal legal way. But that's that's that is a plan. We know that. So certainly this feeds directly into that. Uh, it, it, if, if in fact, it's not something even more sinister than that. Joe. Oh, it could be even more sinister. It could be a Muslim overthrow of the U.S. That could be what Barack Obama is is trying to do because he's already, thanks to our broken borders, he's already allowed these illegals to pour in to keep them in power so they can vote. Now, uh, non-citizens still are not allowed to vote in this country. They never have been. Uh, I don't know that anybody is calling for non-citizens to be able to vote in this country. Uh, but more on those broken borders in a second. I just wanted to give you an idea what's going on in in uh, uh, deep uh, in, in the rabbit holes of right-wing radio. And if that's the only place that this was going on, it wouldn't be that much of a concern. But now a uh, Republican state rep, Missouri state rep Mike Moon uh, from Missouri uh, is calling. And we always, Des, you and I fight it out who's crazier, your home state of Texas or my home state of Missouri. Oh, I think Texas beats well, you by a yeah, mile, well, but that's, that's just say. me. That's what you say. But there's, now, there's more crazy to go around. In Missouri, uh, Mike Moon calling for a special legislative session to halt, quote, the potential Islamization of Missouri. That's right. Moon made the request to the uh, Speaker of the Missouri House in a letter uh, to um, after Governor Jay Nixon, who is uh, a Democrat, sort of, said he would not block the potential resettlement of Syrian refugees in his state. 
Um, for and uh, Moon writes in the letter, for the safety of Missourians, we can ill afford to wait. I ask that you begin the process of calling the General Assembly into special session <laughs> in order to tie the governor's hands, putting a stop to the potential Islamization of Missouri. So that's happening. So it's not just uh, right wing talk radio. It's also uh, state representatives uh, like Mike Moon trying to stop the potential Islamization of this country. And of course, it's not just them. Uh, It's also, uh, you know, guys like uh, Donald Trump who are saying the same thing. But at least Ted Cruz has been right on this issue. I will grant him that. Here is Ted Cruz talking about uh, Syrian refugees and doing the right thing. We have welcomed refugees, the the, the, the tired, huddled masses for centuries. That's been the history of the United States. We should continue to do so. We have to continue to be vigilant to make sure those coming are not affiliated with the terrorists but but we can do that good good see the ted cruz being reasonable oh wait a minute that was last year now ted cruz is saying this you know president obama and hillary clinton's idea that we should bring tens of thousands of syrian muslim refugees to america is nothing less than lunacy (laughs) all right so, of course, uh, it's, it's, it's a good idea. We can do it. That was last year, Ted Cruz. Now it's nothing short of lunacy. Lunacy! So I guess the newsflash here is, uh, oh, these people are crazy? But you knew that. These people are hypocrites? Oh, but you knew that. These people, however, are simply wrong. And I mentioned we were going to get back to the, uh, the illegals which you know this is what made Donald Trump famous, calling out uh, all of the illegal rapists pouring over our borders from Mexico. Huh, funny thing about that. This report just out as we go to air today from uh, the Pew Research. For the first time in more than four decades, more Mexican immigrants are returning to their home country than coming to the U.S., According to uh, this report from Pew Research, from 2009, that's when Obama came to office, to 2014, an estimated 870,000 Mexicans came to the U.S. while one million returned home, a net loss of 130,000, according to Pew. So uh, 130,000 fewer illegals in this country since Barack Obama came to office and put unprecedented resources on the border. Imagine that. It is the complete opposite of what frontrunner Donald Trump has been telling you, of what has made him famous, of what has uh, you know, passed as information uh, to these uh, crazy right-wingers, and unfortunately not just the right-wingers, but a lot of people in America who hear the right-wing nonsense. Yes, Mexicans are actually self-deporting, just like Mitt Romney said. So you can believe the nonsense that you hear from most of the corporate mainstream media, like Republicans, and to their shame, too many Democrats do, or you can listen to the broadcast.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, standing guard all along the watchtower today, tomorrow, and forever. Because <laughs> someone has to. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, it's been a very busy past couple of weeks, frankly, uh, between the attacks in Paris, between our uh, stupid responses to them in this country, between uh, a Republican debate and a Democratic debate and even a Democratic forum somewhere in there. It's been a very busy week. And amidst all of that, the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, the final agreement, has finally been released. Thousands and thousands of pages of the, uh, the so-called TPP. Uh, which uh, has been very controversial for many months, actually many years at this point, as they've been uh, negotiating it over the past several years in secret. We haven't been able to see it, but the uh, the um, the corporate lobbyists who have been allowed into the uh, procedure, they have been able to see it. And uh, those Congress members who are, who were allowed to go into a room to look at some of the drafts uh, of the of the negotiations as they were moving forward, but not allowed to go in there with their staff, with their attorneys who were not allowed to to take notes. Uh, we, we've interviewed uh, a number of those uh, Congress members on this show who say this Trans-Pacific Partnership is a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea the way NAFTA back in the 90s was a terrible idea. Well, the final text of the TPP has now been released, and it will be voted on, voted up or down, I think, uh, under fast track now. There is uh, no amendments allowed to it in Congress. In the Senate, it will be voted up or down, yay or nay, and it is thousands of pages long. I have not been able to look at very much of it. A little bit, but not much. Thankfully... Our friend David Dayen, financial reporter, contributing columnist at Salon, Fiscal Times, New Republic, The Intercept, and just about everywhere else. He has been going through these uh, thousands of pages trying to make sense of them. Uh, and he points out in his uh, in his weekly newsletter recently um, that there is a little something built into uh, into the TPP that could... Remember the Keystone XL pipeline? Remember the uh, the rejection of the Keystone XL pipeline by President Obama? There is some stuff built in, buried in the TPP that might allow, believe it or not, the Keystone XL pipeline to move forward anyway, even though it has now been rejected by the U.S. So here to talk about that, as I say, is our old friend David Dayan. Hey, David, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Hey there, how are you? Oh, I'm okay. I don't want to overpromise. I have not read all 5,000 pages. Oh, you haven't? The Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh-huh. Uh, however, yeah. uh, for purposes of knowing about this, this particular issue on Keystone, yeah. I would not have to have read one word of TPP because this is something that is actually in NAFTA. It, uh, this, is in also, this is already in NAFTA? Yes. So this is 
already the law. Now, this is the investor state dispute stuff, yes. right? Is that and what's at the center of it? Investor state yeah. dispute settlement. Let's explain what that is. Yes, so please. Investor state dispute settlement, or ISDS, is a system uh, by which corporations can get rulings on violations of trade agreements. Mm-hmm. So if a corporation is invested in another country, mm-hmm. and they see the country as doing something in violation of a trade agreement, they can appeal not to that country's judicial system, mm-hmm. but a separate process, an a, a extrajudicial tribunal mm-hmm. composed of corporate lawyers who are, are paid based on how many of these the uh, ISDS uh, panels that they sit on, mm-hmm. who can uh, you know act on behalf of the corporation in one case and then sit on a panel judging that corporation in another case. Uh, and these panels can deliver compensatory damages to a corporation for suing, essentially, a national government over laws that it has made, which they deem to be in violation of the trade agreement. Okay. So here's uh, how this would work uh, on Keystone. Actually, before, before oh. you get to Keystone, okay. be- because what you just explained sounds so insanely bizarre and couldn't possibly be true, I'd like to, I'd like to run through and, and sort of reiterate or underscore some of these points and make sure that I understand them, make sure that our listeners understand it. Sure. So built in... To the, you say both the TPP and NAFTA, is that right? Built into thousands of trade agreements uh-huh. over the last 20, 30-odd years okay. is this system. Now, you know, there's a set, here's, let me give the best case argument from the other side. Okay, but, well, actually, but before you do, I still, I still want to understand okay. this. I'm sorry, uh, because I think it makes sense to you. It may not make a lot of sense to, to listeners. So we've got this, this extrajudicial panel. So a, a corporation has a concern uh, with, with one of the countries. Uh, they claim that the, one of the countries is not uh, following what they are supposed to do in the trade agreement. They can actually, instead of going to court in that country, they just go to this extrajudicial uh, tribunal. Who, who yeah. puts these people, who are these people who are on this panel? You, you describe no, them like as I corporate, said, lawyers. corporate lawyers. They're corporate lawyers. They are, uh, and there is no condition whereby the, those corporate lawyers, uh, you know, they can seamlessly go back and forth between arguing for corporations within these tribunals and then sitting on them. Uh, in judgment. Who determines who these people will be? Uh, d- it does goes it... to a process, uh, whether it's the WTO or the, uh-huh. uh, there's a UN process. There are different ISDS panels uh, that then, you know, sort of pick okay. who gets to sit in judgment on, on these things. And is there an appeal if the... No, uh... there is no appeals process. Uh, there is no real amicus brief kind of process. Uh, by which a country can say, well, here's, you know, I mean, they can, they can sort of duke it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's two sides to the, there's the company and then there's the mm-hmm. country. But there, there is no appeal okay. of these things. Now, uh, a lot of times you hear this is a way for them to revoke national laws. They can't do that through the panel. However, the compensatory damages can be so onerous and burdensome that the country will decide 
discretion being the better part of valor, if we just cancel this law, we don't have to pay these these uh, compensatory damages anymore. So this is it a ca- stretch into the billions of dollars. Yeah. And so it's an it's an indirect way of changing national laws, of undermining national sovereignty uh, uh, through this extrajudicial process. And that would be a case where uh, a corporation says, hey, this country, uh, they're not living up to their agreement. I'm going to take it to this. We're going to take it to this extrajudicial panel. The panel agrees on our behalf and says, therefore, this country must compensate this corporation uh, and... Right, they and the, the, the calculation for that can be something like uh, we, because of this law, public yeah. health regulation, environmental regulation, whatever law that is in violation, mm-hmm. because of this law, we lost expected future profits okay. as a result, and <laughs> you need to compensate us for the expected future profits we were supposed to gain when we made the investment to bring a factory or a plant or a, a, a retail business into your country, <laughs> and it's not, and it's not. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh because you shouldn't laugh. I know I shouldn't laugh, but you it's, shouldn't it's laugh. this is serious business. Yeah, now I know. Now let me let me. It's, give it's you not a like, judge. It's it's someone who may judge. be within the corporation itself. So an oil company wants to sue uh, for a, a country for the lack of expected pro- the profits they expected to get. Now the country makes a law that it's going to make it harder for that oil company to do business, and it could be actually oil company lobbyists, executives sitting on this panel deciding well, I the mean, case. I don't want to go that far. We don't. We, the prob, one problem is these are very secretive panels. We don't get a lot of information about them. Okay. But it is conceivable okay. that you could have someone who was conscripted into uh, arguing on behalf, as, as a litigator, uh-huh. arguing on behalf of a corporation in one case and sitting in judgment uh, of uh, that corporation or another corporation within that industry in the other. Okay. Now, now, let me explain why these things are in there. Okay. Uh, I, I will give my best shot at being the U.S. Trade Representative, and this is why this, this would be their alibi. You have my vote. Go ahead. They say that uh, it's, you know, when a company decides to invest in, in uh, particularly a developing country, mm-hmm. that uh, it's difficult to get a fair shake. There doesn't, we don't want discrimination of these foreign corporations relative to domestic corporations because countries might be uh, trying to shield uh, their, their own companies, mm-hmm. uh, their domestic corporations, from competition. And you, it's hard in a, another country's tribunal or another country's judicial process right. to actually get a fair trial. Okay. And so they set up this process. You need some sort of dispute resolution uh, and, and they set up this process to do it. Here's why that is bunk. <laughs> okay. The reason is that only corporations get this power. In other words, if there are workers mm-hmm. within a country mm-hmm. who uh, find that the, the labor agreement within the trade agreement is being violated. Mm-hmm. That worker cannot go. There is no worker state dispute settlement process. Uh. There is no process whereby a worker or even a union can go and say, you're violating this and you need to compensate us. What, what would a union or, or a worker do in a case like that? What they would have to do is convince another government right. to, 
to make a challenge through the government-to-government process of dispute settlement. Right. But, you know, frequently governments don't listen a lot to you. <laughs> right. So, okay, so they've made it uh, easier for a corporation so to file a grievance. have this power right. where they can go outside the standard judicial process right. and sue for damages. But workers, unions, activist groups, anything like that, we, they can't do it. Wow. They cannot right. do it. And that's the ultimate in the, 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 the unbalanced scales that we have with this ISDS agreement. Now, quickly, let's talk about how Keystone XL plays into this. Do, do you know, and, and I hate to keep teasing that, we're going to yeah. get to Keystone in a second, but do you know, what, were there any union you know, represented? We know there were corporate lobbyists who were involved in the negotiations. Was there any union uh, lobbyists handful, that you know of? A handful. handful? I mean, there are these okay. things called uh, advisory committees, yeah. which meet and are supposed to advise the U.S. Trade Representative. Right. The Washington Post did a study that uh, of the 600-odd uh, trade advisors that there are, something like 450 are come from corporate America. Okay. Uh, there are a handful that come from unions, but... You know, advisory committees are just that. They advise. Right. They, they don't actually uh, get to write the agreement, and they don't have to be listened to unless the people at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office listen to them. And what you have to know about the U.S. Trade Representative's Office is that it's a huge way station for corporate lobbyists. People come in and out, uh, you know, move very seamlessly between the U.S. Trade Representative's Office and large trade associations for uh, software companies, for mm-hmm. Hollywood, for pharmaceutical companies, uh, all of the companies that benefit the most from these types of trade gotcha. agreements. Gotcha. Okay, so then how does TP, sure. uh, Keystone uh, XL uh, play into this? What well, is your concern? so there's this company, TransCanada, yep. that, that wants to put together the Keystone XL pipeline. Right. The president has uh, rejected formally right. uh, the application for Keystone XL. And what TransCanada has said is they're looking into their options over what to do next. And one of the options they have is that under NAFTA, through the ISDS system within NAFTA, mm-hmm. they can sue and say that this is a violation. Uh, you are discriminating against a foreign uh, pipeline operator relative to domestic pipeline operators, and we are going to sue for compensatory damages based on our expected future profits of running this large pipeline. In the extrajudicial tribunal In of corporate law. In the lawyers. ISDS tribunal. Now, this would be the worst possible timing for the administration because they're trying to put TPP right. to a vote in Congress and uh, they're going to need some Democratic votes for that. And now it's sort of a proof of concept because they have been saying over and over again, well, the U.S. has, has never lost a case in the ISDS mm-hmm. process, and it's just folly to suggest that, that the U.S. could ever lose any one of these things. Uh, if you have an active case going against TransCanada, <laughs> Uh, over something that's as much a political football as the Keystone XL pipeline, right. uh, that's going to be a real problem for Democrats uh, signing off on uh, yet another trade agreement that gives an, a very expanded list, because we have yeah. Japan in there, and you have not just Canada and Mexico, but 12 countries in all, 
uh, in this agreement, uh, the estimate that Public Citizen has made says that twice as many companies would have access to the ISDS system under after Trans-Pacific Partnership is passed than do currently today. Now, does is there any evidence, you say TransCanada is reviewing their options, is there any evidence that they are considering this? And yes, there's evidence they're considering it. They have not formally made an ISDS claim as of yet, but the Canadian press has reported that they are among the options that they're considering is to file a claim uh, saying that, that this was discriminatory against Canadian businesses and it violates the NAFTA agreement. And could the, if they do go to the ISDS, the Investor State Dispute Settlement Court, right. uh, and, and that court finds in favor of them, is that then how they could ultimately get approval or are they just going to get compensation for well, the... Well, as, as we said, ISDS cannot reverse the approval as uh, to the best of my knowledge, but they can get enough compensation uh-huh. that uh, a, a new president can say, why are we paying this company wow. out of the U.S. Treasury when yeah. all we have to do is say, go ahead and build your pipeline, and we get off the hook. Wow. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a powerful spur. I mean, money talks. And what, what and would... we're, we're seeing this in another context, by the way. Yeah. Uh, just to give an example, um, the U.S. passed uh, what are known as country of origin labeling laws for meat and produce. Uh-huh. In other words, you pick up your, 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 your piece of beef at the supermarket, and on the wrapper it says what country it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexico and Canada filed a dispute settlement on behalf of meat packers. Uh, this was a slightly different dispute settlement because it went directly through. It was a government-to-government mm-hmm. dispute through the, the WTO, World Trade Organization. And they won. And uh, it, it forces the U.S. to spend $2 billion to compensate beef producers and poultry producers in Mexico and Canada. And what the, the Secretary of Agriculture has said is that since there are no appeals left on this, they're going to have to either pay up or repeal the law, uh, the country of origin labeling law, a law that, wow. that Congress found in the public interest so right. people have a right to know where their food is coming from. Uh, and and the, indeed, the U.S. House has passed already uh, a, a bill repealing those country of origin labeling laws. So this idea that this can never happen, it can, uh, you know, ISDS can never affect U.S. laws, it's actually happening in real time right now in a very similar situation. And uh, I guarantee you, in an ISDS uh, situation, if, if, if the Keystone Pipeline uh, producers of TransCanada win that claim and they're taking a big chunk of money out of the U.S. Treasury, yeah. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure to just go ahead and sign off on that on that pipeline. On that pipeline, would, would uh, and of course, bringing something like this, as you suggest, David Dan, would give uh, uh, you know more fuel for um, for for Democrats who might want to oppose, who might want to join in. Uh, I guess the Republican. It's a strange coalition of people who are uh, supporting strange, and opposing this. Strange coalition on both sides. But uh, it, but what I will say is that. Since we last left this, yeah. in uh, when when TPA, uh-huh. the Trade Promotion Authority, the fast track process right. was passed very narrowly. Um, since the agreement has come back and and people have gotten a chance to see it, Republicans are very concerned 
they do not like this agreement, mainly because it doesn't give enough to corporations. <laughs> well, my, uh, but, but, but they're my... very against it, which, and, and what that means practically is that the administration, in order to pass this thing, is going to need more Democrats, uh, particularly in the House, to support them. And would Keystone, uh, TransCanada in this case, right. uh, would they have an interest in simply undermining and they can't be happy with President Obama. Obama <laughs> wants to pass this thing. Can they have an interest in bringing a case, if only to try to undermine their mortal enemy well, at this point? Uh, I don't know President about Obama? that. They have a fiduciary interest of their shareholders. But, but uh, I mean, well, yeah, but they don't have driving to... driving things a lot more than any personal animus they have with but, the president. But what I'm saying is they can wait. They don't have to file this case. They can wait until after TPP passes. If they did it now... It would seem like it would be done here simply directly right. in order to undermine. Timeline, I don't know what how, what their thoughts are in terms of that timeline. I mean, they might want to get the process started because it takes a long time. Uh, so it, it's it's unclear to me uh, where that might lie. But but do uh, they the, have an the, interest in seeing TPP actually be passed? In other words, they would not Canada, want to. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are some some goodies for the oil industry in 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 the TPP. So they might want to hold off on, on, on those terms, if you think about it that way. Uh, however, uh, you know, the lure of, of filthy lucre <laughs> is, is in the mix here. I mean, uh, if, if they can get an agreement, they think it's possible to get a claim if they think they have a strong one. Wow. Uh, you're talking about free money, right? They, yeah. they can get the proceeds of, of the pipeline without building it. David Dayan, our producer Desi Doyen. We've got just a minute or two left here, but our producer Desi Doyen had a had a question for yeah, you. Yeah, just just real quick, David. Um, you know, there have been some talk among environmental groups that the TPP could also be used to uh, stop any emissions regulations that might come out of the United Nations Treaty Conference that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Is this a mechanism that could be used, even if it's something that is, say, a United Nations worldwide agreement? Well, environmental groups have certainly been uh, very opposed to TPP. Uh, the words climate change do not appear in the TPP agreement. Uh, the, it is not an agreement uh, that is leveraging the, the benefits for these countries who might otherwise be reticent to uh, signing on to that global agreement on climate change. Uh, it's not, you know, these countries get market access to the United States. Mm -hmm. that's, that's very powerful. You can use that as a, as a, as a lever, leverage point to get them to agree to emissions cuts. But none of that is in there. Uh, this is, this, this, the TPP agreement uh, has been described by uh, pretty much every major environmental group in the United States as, as a polluter's dream. And so uh, would it be able to undermine a global climate agreement? Uh, that, that's not quite clear to me. Mm. But what is clear to me is that it gives up any leverage that the United States might have to get other countries on board. Uh, a polluter's dream. Very quickly, David, I'm going to ask you two huge questions that right. you'll need to answer uh, re in a ridiculously short time. <laughs> Uh, because, but we will pick this up, I suspect, in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, now that TPP is out, and I know you haven't gotten through all 5,000 pages, uh, but is it as 
bad? Is it as troubling as you had uh, uh, initially feared? Or is it uh, the president has said this is the most progressive uh, trade treaty ever? Uh, is, is it more progressive than you thought it might be? No, I mean, it's certainly uh, pretty much in line with where I thought it was going to be. Uh, it's not a progressive agreement. Uh, the, the things that are allegedly progressive in it are either unenforceable or rely on a, a will of the executive branch that has never been there in any other agreements. Uh, you're talking about the labor standards, talking about the environmental standards. Uh, they're, 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 just, they're just very weak, and, and, and they're, they're not likely to be enforced if we look to history. So uh, it, it's pretty much where I thought there are some surprises in there, but they're not, they're not good surprises. Uh-oh. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking about those as uh, the weeks go on. So if we had to choose between Elizabeth Warren when she was saying this is a terrible agreement and Barack Obama was saying I love Elizabeth Warren, however, she's totally wrong, uh, it is yeah. your assessment, David Dayen, that uh, Warren was more right than the president at this point. I, I think that's accurate. All right. And what, what's the timeline at this point for whether this, uh, this agreement is uh, ratified by the U.S. Senate? Yeah, so there's a, a long It doesn't actually not ratified. They, they're calling it something else, not well, they ratified. Just have to, it's not a treaty, right? right? So it doesn't have to be ratified. Right. It just has to be agreed to. Right. Um, there is a quite long timeline. There are a number of conditions that have to be met. Uh, right now, once they've dropped the text, they have to wait 90 days until actually signing the agreement. Mm-hmm. And then there are a number of other steps that need to be taken. We're not likely to see votes in Congress for this until the spring, maybe as late as May or June. Uh, and if uh, Republicans aren't on board and they don't have the votes, it could be a long, long time before we see any votes on this. And, and uh, is spring or uh, June smack dab in the middle of the presidential election next year. That's right. That's right. And Hillary Clinton, of course, has come out against it. We know Bernie Sanders is against it. We know Donald Trump is against it. So who, who ends up in those uh, <laughs> slots for the nomination could play a major role in uh, where we where we see this. Wow, this is going to be really uh, fun and horrible all at the same time. <laughs> uh, David Dayan, always great to talk to you. Uh, our friend, friend of the show, David Dayan. Check out his work as ever at Salon, at Fiscal Times, at uh, The Intercept, uh, and uh, The New Republic. Is that where you'll also be uh, of late? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to be weekly there uh, every Wednesday starting uh, today, actually. I have a piece there. And uh, also on the Twitters at D Day and uh, David, always great to talk to you. Uh, thank you. You make us all smarter for listening to you. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. All right. A quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> song can only mean one thing. <laughs> means it's time for the Green News Report, our latest Green News Report with uh, with Desi Doyen. And Des, I have, uh, well, there, there's one part of today's report that we, we couldn't get into uh, the six minutes. That yes. actually needs just a little bit more explanation because it's even uh, more troubling. Uh, so we will explain after you give a listen to our latest Green News Report. They wanted to sift through these emails, look for bits and pieces that if you yank them out of context 
looked suspicious. House Republicans double down in their continuing war against NOAA scientists. Taxpayers subsidize fossil fuels to the tune of $500 billion a year. October 2015 is the hottest October on record. Plus, Canada's Prime Minister kills another tar sands pipeline. All of that carnage and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's almost like they'll put you in prison for challenging the religious dogma of climate change on campus, and that's crazy. That is crazy. Senator Rand Paul is crazy as saying that it's almost like they'll put you in prison for challenging climate change. Rand Paul plays the victim card. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, global warming deniers continue to tell us that the globe is not getting any warmer, and yet scientists continue to tell us that each month is giving us record heat at this point, pretty much every month, I think, this year. Yeah, denial of reality. It's what they do. And of course, now there's more. October 2015 was the hottest October in history since record keeping began in 1880. That's according to new data released by NASA. So far, almost every month in 2015 has broken the record for that month, making it almost certain that 2015 will surpass 2014 as the hottest full calendar year on record. But other than that, the globe is not warming. Oh, but wait, there's more. NASA says 2015 will register a full one degree Celsius warmer than pre-industrial temperatures. And that is an important threshold because one degree Celsius is halfway to the internationally agreed upon warming target of two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. World leaders meeting in Paris in two weeks are negotiating a comprehensive international emissions treaty, and the goal is to keep those temperatures from rising more than two degrees. So, just to be clear, we've already reached the halfway point of warming. In other words, just to be clear, that two degrees... That's what we're going to go, they feel, no matter what. They want to try to hold it to no more than 2 degrees Celsius. Right. Yeah, good luck with that. Plus, NASA reports that El Nino is now officially the most intense El Nino ever recorded, with sea surface temperatures in the Pacific Ocean already surpassing the record temperatures at the same point during the 1998 monster El Nino. Well, when is it going to bring all of the rain here to Southern California? That is an excellent question. Nobody knows. And so far, no rain. In U.S. politics, a big story that's flown under the radar, the chairman of the House Science Committee is going after scientists at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and the National Science Foundation. Representative Lamar Smith of Texas has subpoenaed the personal emails of federal scientists because he claims they've committed scientific fraud in a major new study showing that there has been no pause in global warming. So far, NOAA has complied with the House Committee's data requests, but but they've refused to hand over personal emails. On a recent broadcast, environment journalist David Roberts of Vox.com says this investigation will undermine U.S. science research. The damage that they're doing to the practice of science in the U.S., I think, is much deeper and, and, and more disturbing than whatever the ebb and flow of who's up and down in, in electoral politics. David Roberts went on to tell me that this is just a matter of harassing them. They just want to find something in those emails that they can use out of context to somehow try and embarrass them. They have absolutely no evidence for this jihad, if you will, 
against climate scientists. It's amazing. Internationally, despite public pledges by governments to cut down on fossil fuels in advance of the U.N. climate talks, a new report from the nonprofit group Oil Change International finds that developed countries spent a combined average of nearly $500 billion on fossil fuel subsidies in 2013 and 2014. In the U.S., taxpayers give the fossil fuel industry a cool $20 billion in permanent subsidies every year, while renewable energy subsidies are set to expire this month. Finally, in the U.K., the British government has announced this week it will close all coal-fired power plants in the country by 2025. That's phasing out coal in 10 years. And in Canada, just a few weeks after President Obama rejected the Keystone XL tar sands pipeline, Canada's new prime minister, Justin Trudeau, has killed another one, the controversial proposed Northern Gateway Pipeline project across British Columbia. Trudeau is making permanent a ban on oil tankers off the coast of British Columbia, which effectively ends the Northern Gateway Pipeline. Unbelievable. Rejecting the Keystone XL pipeline. Governor Cuomo in New York just rejected a natural gas pipeline. Now Canada itself rejecting its own pipeline. It really is a new day for fossil fuels, a new and not good day for them, but maybe good for us. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. And another one gone, and another one gone. Another one buys the dust. Hey, hey, gonna get you too. Another one buys the dust. Yeah. Fossil fuels are really up against it right now. Yes, they, they really, are. Really on are. the ropes. Yeah, indeed. And for good reason. And I mentioned this before our Green News Report. There was, the October 2015, as you mentioned, Des, was the hottest October ever recorded on planet Earth. However, uh, October was not just a record. It was a record record. The record itself was a record for being the largest departure from average ever recorded. So it it's even worse than it worse than it appears. Yes. Even stronger than it appears because not only is it the hottest October, it's departing by way more broke, than any other time. It broke the record for how much it broke the record. Correct. Unbelievable. Uh, thank you very much for that report, Desi Doyen, and for all you do here. That's our producer, Desi Doyen. My thanks also to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, journalist David Dayen, and of course to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it at bradblog.com or go on over to iTunes where you can get it as well. Say something nice about us over there. We greatly appreciate it, and it makes it easier for everyone else to find us as well. Drop us email. We are bradcast at bradblog.com. And follow the snark 24-7 on the Twitters at TheBradBlog and at the Facebook at TheBradBlog. That's it. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.